It all panned out okay on the night. It's good to be with you and uh, had a great time with the men. Man up and uh, we really did have a great time and... uh, and, you know, I, I just came here, I got up this morning expecting it to be freezing cold. I brought two jackets and I didn't even wear a jacket today. Sorry if I'm a little informal, but I'm enjoying the fact that it isn't freezing. If you remember, last time I was here, I woke up, opened my curtains and it was snowing outside my window over the ocean. And uh, I've now found out that that is a rare phenomenon anywhere in the world. And uh, so I had an expectation of that, but it was a beautiful five degrees when I got up this morning. So, you know, it's getting hot here in Dunedin. God is about to do something. If you've got a Bible, you can turn wherever you like this morning. It's a prophetic service. No, no. Really, if you want to turn with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 54, and uh, we're going to go there. And uh, I-, I want to declare over you as a church that there is more, that God has more for you. It's been great to hear that since I was last here, I noticed there's a little bit more renovation done. There's uh, now two services in a morning. It was just a, a thought. Now it's a reality. And uh, the night service, and I hear things are progressively growing and increasing. But, you know, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. And uh, you've got to understand, if you're part of a significant house, then you've always got to expect more. And more is an interesting word because when we say it, some people go, oh, please, could you not talk about more? Pastor Willie doesn't need anybody to encourage him to stir us for more. But the truth is that we serve a God who is a God who is a God of growth, a God of increase, a God that says there's still people in this great city that don't know Jesus. And we need to be people that go, okay, more. And we've got to expect that God is going to continue to grow. And He wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to play your part. Now, I spend my life living in suitcases, you know, and I go into hotel and motel rooms and I spend my life there. Uh, When I say I spend my life, I do have a family and I do actually spend some time at home um, and uh, and they sometimes travel with me. But, you know, I live in a suitcase. So you can be quite apt at knowing how to travel and how to get that suitcase working for you and sometimes I travel with a suit bag like this weekend because I came on Friday I go home tonight and uh, and so that I don't have to put check-in baggage because who knows you put check-in baggage in my experience it gets lost in fact once I ended up in Manchester England from Australia and when they found my bag two late two days later it was in Bonus Aires and uh uh, and I was like, how can it go there from Australia? It's like the opposite side of the world. And they're like, oh, sorry, you know, Heathrow has an electronic bagging system that's very precise. I was like, yeah, very precise. <laughs> but anyway, I've learned to live out of a suitcase. And, uh, and so I go to hotels. And, you know, hotels and motels always have cupboards. And some people don't understand that they're actually there to put your clothes in not to live out of your suitcase. And uh, my wife, for example, is one of the most OCD type people at home when it comes to clothing and, and uh, where you put stuff and, and having everything in its perfect place. But when we travel, oh, I'm exposing something about her today. It's like, you know, and she enjoys the freedom. But me, on the other hand, at home, I like at home, 
But when I'm on the road, everything, as soon as I arrive, even last night, and then I had to repack it all this morning. Can you believe it? How stupid. But I take everything out of my suit bag and hang it up so that it might just lit- literally look a little like I've ironed it. And, uh, and, and then I, uh, you know, and it, it, that's what I do. And so my, my wife, now I need to get a show of hands. Who else does that when they go to a hotel? Exactly. Willie, wow, I'm impressed. Pastor Willie, wow. I bet you're not like that at home either, just like me, exactly. And uh, uh, that's usually the case, that most people just live out of the suitcase. But anyway, I, on this particular occasion, was in my um, hotel, and, uh, and there's another phenomenon about travelling, that what you put in your suitcase when you leave home, doesn't matter whether you buy something or you don't, when you try to put it all back in when you're coming back, it never fits. It's like this phenomena. It's like socks in the, in the washing machine. You put in four pairs of socks and you pull out three and a half pairs. And you look in and you're like, where has it gone? There's nothing on the edge. There's nothing in the washing machine, but it's gone. And it's just one of those phenomena. And so what I used to do is I'd travel a lot. And when my kids were younger, if I went on a longer trip, my kids knew that they would get a bigger present. That's how we worked. And my son worked the system, I can tell you. He learned how to text from his mum's phone when he was very young. Dad, uh, just saying, you know, this is what could be a good idea. Or just saying, this is what, you know, like I'm talking from the age of seven or eight. And... Uh, so when I got home, there was no love. It was like, hi, Dad, uh, where's the present? And, you know, and, and so I, I actually would put presents in my bag and I would jam that bag. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but you put the bag on the, on the bed. You have to sit on the bag and you're trying to zip that thing up, trying to get it, you know, if that zip pops people are going to die and uh, and anyway you get it down I pull it off the bed on this particular occasion put it on the floor and look up and on my bed ah there's still some stuff that I forgot to put in the bag and at that stage I've got like three handbags not those sort of handbags you know like handbags and uh, I know the world's changed but not that much and uh, and, and, and and I I you know I've got it already and you go into the plane and if you travel on certain airlines now you know if you take one kilo one you know 100 gram one gram over and they charge you about a million dollars to put it on the plane and and so I'm starting to worry about how am I going to get it all on the plane and I'm overweight and my bags as well and you know, and, and, and I've got all this stuff and I, I'm like, what am I going to do? Fast forward a week, I'm sitting on the couch at home watching the TV. Somehow I got all those bags home. Somehow I sweet talked the lady. I can't remember what I did, but I got out of paying extra money. And all that worry and stress was a waste of time because I made it. And isn't it interesting that life is so like that? We look and we think of, how are we going to get any more in? I already run the kids to ballet and to this and to that. I've got to come here and I think I'm just a taxi service for my family now. And, uh, and how am I going to show up to the Wednesday night meeting and the e-group here and the this there? And, and, and you want more? Ah! The truth is, if we look at our lives, what we could cope with 10 years ago, And our capacity today has increased no end. And the truth is, you can take more. But rather than reacting to the statement, you need to actually ask the Lord how He can increase your measure so you can step into what He has for you. Because the inevitable is there's always going to be more required But God's not going to take you beyond what your capacity can hold. Isaiah 54 verse 1. Here the nation of Israel is 
It's not talking specifically about a woman. Metaphorically, it is. And nation of Israel is whinging and complaining and feeling like nothing's happening for them. And we pick it up here in Isaiah 54, verse 1. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who never were in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Notice this, that's a strong statement. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. If I could just have a little bit more in the monitors and my voice is just about to die. You know, I was sitting in a meeting at our office and uh, we have an executive meeting and uh, at Planet Shakers, you know, we have... Um, uh, a team of us that get together to talk about church life. You know, we, we have an extended staff of around 100, but our, 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 our team, executive team's about five or six people. On this occasion, I was in the meeting, and as the international director, I don't have a lot to do with the day-to-day running of the church. It's more what's happening externally. And uh, so I was sitting in the meeting, sort of minding my own business. I don't know what I... can't remember what I was doing, but I was probably on my phone or, or emailing and in the meeting, but not in the meeting, if you know what I mean. And, and leaders know how frustrating it is when people are in the meeting and not in the meeting. But anyway, I was there and suddenly Pastor Russell looks at me and he says, Neil, we need to do more in this Pacific region. And, uh, and as he says it to me, it's got no context of the meeting, no context or anything else. He just looks at me and says that. And I look at him and internally I go, oh, more in the Pacific region. Don't you realise what we already do? Don't you realise all the things we do? We have a band on the road 30 weeks a year. We have five conferences internationally. We're planting four churches in Geneva and in Austin, Texas and in Singapore. And we're expanding what we're doing in Cape Town. And on top of that, we just have a few little other things called relationships that we're trying to service and trying to be involved in. How do you expect me to do more? Now, that's what went on in my head. It was smart that I didn't let it come out of my mouth. The very next thought I had was, well, Lord, if you want us to do that, you're going to have to increase my measure because I don't have any more time. I don't feel like I have any more capacity. And I don't know how we're going to do that. And you see, we all are faced with the issue of where we're at as opposed to where we're going. But when we hear more, we shouldn't actually get a negative context. We should get a sense of, okay, God, If you want me to participate in this, would you increase my capacity? Would you increase my measure? Would you give me uh, an ability for more? You see, if we're going to be people that have more, we need to answer some questions. The first question we need to answer is, are you prepared to break out of survival and existence mentality? See, many of us are caught up in our pattern, our routine, our everyday. If you're not careful, you can actually drive to work a certain way every day. Get on the the bus, however you get to work, you know, walk to work. And then you sit at your desk and you've got a cup of coffee sitting at your desk. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's happened to me. And I've looked down at the coffee and suddenly had this thought, how did that coffee get there? And then I track it back back a little and I think, how did I get to work this morning? What way did I even come? Did I go through a red light? Did I leave the oven on at home? Did I? And suddenly you're asking all these questions because you just got into autopilot that morning and you arrived at where you are 
because you've done it the same way for the last 10 years. And it's interesting that many of us actually get caught in patterns and it actually becomes the whole for us moving into the new that God has purpose for us. And so I was, um, uh, you know, I travel with my family from time to time. And when you travel with your family from time to time, it's a whole different experience, particularly with luggage. Particularly my 19-year-old daughter doesn't actually think about, we're only going away for three days, I probably only need a small bag. She thinks, well, anything could happen in these three days, so I need to take literally the whole wardrobe. (laughs) Not only that, her and her mother have hair straighteners. Both of them have hair straighteners. Both of them have hair dryers and a bag of goodies. I'm not sure what's in it. Um, You know, it's like a see-through bag so they can see all the stuff in it. And they're like, and they always look in the see-through bag and go, oh, I've forgotten something. It's like, why have a see-through bag? You just... You forget that you forgot something all the time. And, and, and then they put it on their bags. And I said, why can't you share? Oh, don't be ridiculous. We do our hair at the same time and our makeup. And... <laughs> so anyway, all I, all, I take responsibility for one thing. It's a very manly thing. And that is packing the car with the suitcases. And I want you to understand that at that moment, I know we live in an equal opportunity world, but that is a man's job right there. Okay. And it's like Tetris. You get those bags downstairs and you're thinking, how am I going to get them in the car? Ladies, you just need to leave the men to it because they enjoy it. They don't enjoy, oh, why don't you put it there? Oh, that could go over there. No, just leave us to it. Anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry for all the equal opportunities people, I'm sorry. And, And anyway, so I tell my family, bring the bags down, put it around the vicinity of the car, but not in the car. Because I like to stand looking in the boot of the car for a while, just imagining where each piece is going to go. Yeah, see, now I've got some, amen, hallelujah. Anyway, so I'm there and you put it in and then you pull it out and you put it there. Oh, no, that one would be better. Flip it around and, and, oh, there's a little space there. Put that there. And then you pull the boot down and I'm telling you that boot is like, you know, tilted sideways like this and and it's not in a good state, but hey, it's shut. And then you shut the boot, you stand back and... You don't say anything outwardly, but inwardly you're like, I am the man. I got it all in. (laughs) It's like men going to the post op box. I hate the fact that we're going away from snail mail. Because there's something being a man that you go to your post box, you pull out the letter, it's got your name on it, and you open it and you feel so important until you realise it's a bill for $1,000 and then you put it back in the mailbox. (laughs) But, But, you know, there's something that's so satisfying about that. Except that my 19-year-old daughter... Comes down, oh, Dad, I forgot to give you this bag. You did what? I've just packed it. How am I going to get that? What am I going to? And my wife has these words of wisdom. I don't think it's very wise, but she does. She says, why don't we just put it on our lap? And I'm like, no, why would you put it on your lap? Don't be so ridiculous. We could have got in the boot if you brought it early. And suddenly I have this thought, why do I care whether it's on their lap or not? What difference does it make to me? It's a bit like church life. Oh, we're going to go to a second service. And all these people say, really? Going to a second? We don't need a second. So why are you going to a second service? And it's all the people that only come to church once a month and they don't go to two services anyway. (laughs) Oh, not in this church. That's other churches. But, you know, it's amazing how we get so caught in our pattern, in our routine, that we actually want to control the environment rather than realising when momentum kicks in, stuff just keeps moving. You can't stand in front of a train that has 30 carriages and go, okay, stop, I'm walking across. 
that thing goes, ha, <laughs> you know. And we need to recognize the momentum is that way. If you're going to have more, you've just got to adjust. You've got to adapt. You've got to step out of your routine and step into what God has for you. You know, I went to Japan a number of years ago and probably four or five years before I went, I saw this advert for MasterCard. I don't know if you had it here, but it was specifically relating to um, the, the train system in Japan. And, uh, and John Eels, you know, a great um, a rugby player for Australia, the captain, he was on this ad and he was, it was like he was in a scrum and what he was doing it, uh, was pushing people onto the train. And so that was the, the whole ad. And I thought, and then I'd heard that they actually have pushers to get people on the trains in Japan. And I thought to myself, oh, I'll see the tourist destination, but I want to see that. I want to see them pushing people onto the train at peak hour times. So sure enough, I arrive at peak hour in an afternoon. And as I get there, they have these ladies uh, in yellow jackets and they're the pushers. And they stand about three metres back from the train tracks. And they're older ladies. And I'm told the reason is because older ladies command respect in Japan. And, uh, and they, got, they don't have the physical ability, but nobody will say to them, don't push me, you know, because they have respect for them. So I, I jump in and I think, I'd like to take a jacket, but I might get arrested for that so, uh, and, and be the pusher. So when in Rome, do as the Romans do, I'm going to get right in front of the lady. So I get in front of her before a train is coming, three metres from the track, and I sort of jump in front of her and I look around and I can see her going, oh, big one, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and so she, she puts her hands in the middle of my back and I tell you, without a word of a lie, they start pushing and the train hasn't even arrived yet. Uh, you know, in Tokyo, there's 26 million people. A million people over this one railway station every day pass this, this station. And so I figure that they start pushing before because they probably lose a few and, hey, it doesn't matter because we've got plenty more. And, uh, and, and the train arrives and as it arrives, the train's already packed. So she starts pushing. Doors open and they're pushing and I'm like three metres back. I get to the edge of the door and I'm in and I, I can see this poor guy. He's stuck right here in my belly button. I think he's died. And, uh, uh, but he can't move because we're all just jammed in. And, uh, and then I feel this hand come up, push my head down because the door's sort of curved like this. And door's shut behind me and I'm like, oh, hi, people. And, uh, and we take off. Get to the next station and guess what? They just push a whole heap more on. Nobody else gets off, but everybody else gets on. And after two or three stations, I'm in the middle of the train. And there's people that, you know, used to be 90 kilos and now 25 kilos just jammed in there. It's a great waste loss strategy. But the truth is, in their mindset, in their culture, not just Japanese but Asian culture, they have a mentality, you can always fit more. Whereas in New Zealand, oh, you touched my arm, what are you doing, you know? But it's just a mentality. We've got to break out of what is not. If we want to be large, if we want to step into what God has purposed, a city presencing church, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, then we need to be people that understand that God has more for us. And we've got to break out of our survival and our existence mentality. You know, the second thing that we need to do is we need to allow difficulty and hardship to position us. So often we look at the circumstances we go through and we say, why is this happening to me? Rather than saying, why is this happening? God, what are you doing? What are you preparing me for? James 1 verse 2 puts it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
Oh, I just lost $10,000. Yes, Lord, that's so awesome. I consider it pure joy. It's not generally how we respond. Most of us actually think, what is going on? God, you've abandoned me. Rather than consider it pure joy when we go through trials. Some, some of us are being told by the doctor that there's a challenge with our health or whatever it might be. But consider it pure joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, I've been involved in so many church building programs and I sit on numerous church boards around the world. And, and so I've, I've been bathed in church life at all different levels over an, at probably 25, 30 years now. But when I had my own church in Perth, we planted a church and it grew rapidly to a couple of thousand people. And, um, and so we, we got a building and we were building this building. It was an 850-seater and, and uh, I decided to project manage it because I had a building background in, in project management. And so I thought, save some money and focus. And truth was, because it was like my baby, I was going to be there all the time anyway, so I may as well project manage it. Well, with about three days to go before the official opening, it's amazing what um, you can get done in a short period of time. Because, you know, three days I've got like 800 guests coming for our official opening on the Saturday night, going to cut the ribbon. And at that stage, we had no carpet in the auditorium. We had no paint in the auditorium. And we pr pretty much hadn't fitted out lighting and uh, all the stage type stuff. And, and then in other parts of the building, well, I just put curtains up and hoped nobody would go there. But, but the, the truth was, it was like that. So on the Wednesday afternoon, I was walking through the foyer and as I was walking through the foyer, I felt an incredible pain in my chest. So much so, it crippled me over. And, and in the end, I fell to the ground in pain. And I started, oh, oh. Now, I don't know why I was doing that because there's nobody around. But as a man, you're hoping doing that, somebody will come. Because surely you can't have pain and nobody's with you, with you on it. And uh, after a few, oh, nobody came. So I stopped that. And uh, I was just lying on the ground. And, and then my wife came. Somebody called my wife and she came. She said, are you all right, love? And... I mean, what, is, what a question to ask. You know, I'm lying on the ground in pain. Are you all right? But anyway, uh, she asked that question and, uh, and she said, you need to go to the doctors. Oh, no, it's fine. I, you know, it's just, so, no, you need to go. You can't have pain in your chest. And, you know, so, all right, I'll go to the doctor. So I'll go to the doctor. And the doctor, after doing all this testing on me, says, uh, Mr. Smith, you, uh, I'd say the diagnosis is you're under stress. I'm like, are you for real? I just paid you a hundred bucks for you to tell me I'm under stress. That, that's more stressful now. I've got that, the hundred bucks I just paid you. And, uh, and he said, you need to take two weeks off. I forgot to tell my wife that part of the conversation, but I, I, I told her what was going on. And, 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 and sure enough, we worked towards it. We got into the building on the Saturday night. Like I said, curtains and there was sort of false walls and things in place. And we just made sure we directed people in certain directions. And, uh, and, and we had a great night. Next morning, we come to church for our first Sunday with our church family. And, uh, and anyway, I arrive at church and all the plate glass windows at the front have been broken. One of the things we didn't quite finish, they were coming to fit it off on the Monday, was the alarm system for the church. Of course, when buildings happen, people get tipped off. And so they smashed all the glass, stole all the sound system, all the equipment. And so on our first Sunday of enjoying all this effort and energy and fundraising and years of work, we're, Kumbaya, my love. It wasn't quite what I was expecting. 
But anyway, I remember talking to some friends and friends said to me, don't worry, God's got a plan. I'm like, yeah, great, got a plan, but I don't have a building, you know, and, uh, and, and, and that's how you feel in those moments. So then I went on that week, we got insurance, got it all fixed up. And, you know, even claiming insurance, when everything's new and you claim insurance, it's, not, it's no great joy. Five years down the track, you're going, oh, blessing of God that we can get all new gear. But at that stage, it was no benefit to us. So we move into the building first Sunday. The next Sunday we have everything there and we, it was phenomenal. Go home that afternoon. I'm at home. I receive a phone call from one of the musicians who's there for the rehearsal for the night meeting. So Pastor Neil, can you hear this noise? You could hear a, a, a strange sort of loud type noise. In Perth there was unseasonal rain for two hours. The most rain received in our city in history. But in that moment what happened was the central gutter of the building collapsed. And so the water came down. It was like a waterfall in the middle of the stage. The keyboard was right here and it's sort of pouring on it. They sent me a photo. Why they sent me a photo? I mean, goodness me, as if I wasn't depressed enough and now I'm just looking at this photo. And, uh, and it's filled and then it flooded the whole auditorium. It flooded all our brand new offices and all our new furniture and everything was pretty much gone. So for the next six weeks, they had to clean up and again insurance. And I was like, God, what are you trying to do? But, you know, it wasn't until a few years later, I was sitting on these boards, and in a spate of about four months, we had all these situations take place. First, I get a phone call from my friend in Brisbane, Paul Geerling, and I don't know if he's ever been here, but I'm sure he's done some things with equippers along the way. And Paul Geerling, um, you know, he, he rings me and he's like, oh, you're not going to believe what's happening. He's crying. I've never heard him cry. He said, I'm standing in the middle of my auditorium right now and the water is up to my ankles. If you remember, there was the floods in Brisbane City. His main building, uh, his main large building got flooded right up to waistline and basically they wrote off the whole building. But as he's standing there, I said, Paul, I remember my circumstance that I went through. But God always has a plan, even in the middle of it. And he's like, oh, okay. But you can feel him like, what are you telling me that for? I'm standing in the middle of the water. <laughs> and then, then, then just a few months later, I get a phone call from my friend John Cameron. I used to be on his board, Arise Church. And, 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 and of course, in Christchurch, as you know, there was the, the, the earthquake. And at that stage, their church was struggling to grow. And they were having some challenges and we were talking about those challenges as a board. But then the earthquake came and if you remember, there was a food supply problem in Christchurch and yet the government and everybody else had said, don't send food, they don't need food. And then three days later, they need food and there was no food around. And so, But there was somebody in the church that said, I believe God's spoken to me and she started filling up trucks and in the end we took 15 trucks down there and they became a food distribution center for the city of Christchurch in that crisis you know the church grew in the next six months by double because of what had taken place and then my friend in England now you might start to think mate we don't want you on our church board or anywhere near it and uh, my friend in England who I'm on his board in Manchester rings me and he goes there's a fire right now in our building and one of their buildings literally burnt to the ground but you see, that's the moment. But let's fast forward and look at those circumstances. That building that burnt to the ground was a building that we'd actually inherited and we wanted to get rid of, but it was a heritage-listed property. And because it was heritage-listed, they couldn't... Hey, we didn't burn it, if you want. <laughs> but, but basically, it burnt to the ground and, uh, 
and its property value was double once the building was gone with what it was on. And of course, developers were lining up to buy it from us. We sold it and we were able to pour it into the building that is now in the centre of Manchester. And that church is now the second largest church in the whole of England because of what God did in that moment. You know, but then... Christchurch, I just said, the church increased by double. We were talking about how we're going to bring, you know, increase to that church and suddenly it increased because of that disaster. Paul Geeling's church in Brisbane, we just as a board three months earlier said we want to move the church because it was sort of just outside the main city block. We wanted to move into the city block, but we were worried about the people were emotionally connected to that building. How are we going to communicate that? Well, I tell you, when a flood comes through and they can never walk back in, nobody's to blame. Everybody goes, well, that's the end of that building. What are we going to do? We sold that building for 12 months. The government, I mean, the insurance company paid for us to have the nicest building in the centre of Brisbane and we're able to build the base of that church, sell that building. And today they own four buildings freehold because of what was realised with that asset. So you see, sometimes even in the midst of your worst circumstance, God is at work. God is a redeemer and he can take what we see as a challenge and he can make it into our greatest opportunity. So the question for you today, stop saying, why God? Start saying, why God? What are you up to? What are you trying to purpose for me? What's the plan that you have for my life? God's not trying to kill you. He's trying to increase your measure. Exodus 1 verse 12, but the more they were oppressed, speaking of the people of Israel, the more they multiplied and they spread out. So the Egyptians came to dread Israel. The third thing that you've got to do if you want to have increase is you've got to stretch. Now stretching isn't necessarily a nice thing, but it's a necessary thing if you're going to have growth. Growth is a process of expansion and contraction. A hot air balloon actually works on the principle of you heat the air and the air molecules increase. When you, when you actually cool the air, the air molecules decrease and the balloon comes down. It goes up and it comes down. So it's actually about a process of expansion and contraction rather than up and down. We have, you know, seasons of highs and lows, but and when the heat is on, you know, is the time that we stretch the most, but it's actually the time that we actually start to go up. Although we naturally can't see it sometimes, expansion and contraction is the greatest example of this is when it prepares the birthing canal. Talk to any woman, she doesn't necessarily like the expansion or the contraction, but without them, she actually is not going to birth that baby that is purposed to come. And we need to understand that both are necessary. There's times where we stretch and there's times where we decrease, but each one is as important to prepare us for what God is about to birth in us. So we would like to have up, 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 up all the time, but it doesn't work that way. It's expansion. Contraction. Expansion, contraction. One of the greatest stories of this is found in Genesis 49. Josh, uh, Joseph experienced family blessing. Expansion. Joseph was thrown into the pit. Contraction. Joseph into Potiphar's house. Expansion. You've got to remember that Joseph was placed in a significant house. This is a significant house, so there's always going to be expansion and contraction. Joseph was thrown into prison. Contraction. Joseph ruled alongside Pharaoh. Expansion. 
But Joseph's life wasn't up and down. Joseph's life was expansion and contraction. The movement of our lives is actually about expansion and contraction. Joseph needed to go through every season to stretch his capacity to be able to rule alongside Pharaoh. The ultimate of what he did, he couldn't have got there if he hadn't been through the hole in the ground, if he hadn't been through the significant family. All those things, you know, piled together so that he could be the person that God purposed him to do. In every contraction lies the seed for your next expansion. God has more for you. More when the doctor says it's not possible to have children. More increased measure of God-given authority. More financial increase in a supernatural proportion. More faith to believe for the promises of God. More family to come back to the Lord. More favour and influence in the marketplace. More schools that will come to Christ. More universities that will come to Christ. A city is to be won. There's more that God has for you. But you see, your response determines whether you see that more become a reality. I sat in that room and Pastor Russell looked at me and he said, more in the region. We, you know, we talked about it. With privilege comes responsibility. Planet Shakers has got so many things going on on the earth. And right now we've got opportunities in countries and um, you know, we've had all sorts of things happening. One event alone in Indonesia just a couple of years ago, you know, we saw 280,000 people show up, 50,000 we had to turn away. You know, there, there's things that we're involved in in nation shaping. And it's not because I'm great, Pastor Russell's great, individual members of the band are great. It's because God is great and he's chosen to favour us. But I want to tell you, we still have the stretch of more. And so I started a dream what we could do and we decided that we wanted to disciple nations you know in this passage of scripture it says and they will you know uh, camp in your desolate cities it says uh, sorry let me pull it up for you will spread out to the right and the left and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities I was brought up in the church and I've heard about great things that have happened heard about what God does, keyboard player can come, and I've heard about what what God does in the context of um, churches, but I've never seen a nation come to Christ. In fact, I've read in history and I've never seen a whole nation swept to the Lord. But yet the Bible says that that's what's going to happen, that is our portion. Well, I want to see it happen. So I started to dare, but I believe God, could we see a nation? So we started to pray about 12, 14 months ago. And God gave us, the long story short, the nation of PNG, Papua New Guinea. And so I got on a plane or I booked a ticket to go to Papua New Guinea with no appointments. Wrote letters to all different people. But what God spoke to us is, incredibly, we've seen church do amazing things. But particularly in the era of crusades, you know, you hear about Reinhard Bonnke and 50 million people in 10 years in Africa. But if you go back to some of those parts of Africa, no disrespect to him. I was a part of his, his team for a season go back and there's not a lot that has actually changed well we can take the video and the camera and go wow look how good we are but actually if we don't bring change to that nation we don't affect the future generations so God spoke to us about talking to political leaders business leaders and then church leaders last because the political leaders although not necessarily godly hold the the power to that country so I wrote a letter to the Prime Minister of PNG just why not Hey, can I have a meeting with you? Was basically what we wrote. He came back to us to our surprise and said, Yes, I'll meet you on this date at this time. 
That was great. But who knows that when the Prime Minister wants to meet you of a country, you've actually got to have something to say. It's great to have all the faith in the world, but if you, oh, hi, here we are. Roll out the carpet, planet shakes has arrived. Dun, dun, dun. And so I get this meeting with the Prime Minister. Long story short, it doesn't happen when we arrive because there's a coup in the country the day we arrive. He didn't get rolled as the Prime Minister, but there were some things that happened. So meet with the Finance Minister. Over the next 12 months, up until three weeks ago, meet with the Finance Minister, the Education Minister. We start some business projects. We're just about to launch a fruit factory where next year when we start our crusade in one of the regions, we're actually going to open a fruit factory that will bring five to 7,000 jobs and a coconut plantation in another place where we'll regenerate a whole industry for that whole island and, and, and different things that we've been working on so that when we go and we do the crusades, it's not just here we are. But actually, people get saved, but they get a job and they get health care and they get things that happen. And I can tell you story after story, incredible things that have happened. But it culminates as I'm standing on the steps of Parliament. Some of the guys heard the story. I'm about to preach. I'm about to speak, sorry, to the nation as the key international stakeholder of the nation. That's what they call me. Prime Minister's just spoken. Speaker of the House has just spoken. Governor General's just spoken. And the Chief Justice of the Nation have just spoken. And then, dun, 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 Pastor Neil Smith from Planet Checkers, come and speak. I didn't even know I was supposed to speak that day. And they just call me up and they say, would you tell us what you see for our nation in the next five years? So I stood up and prophetically spoke over the nation, live on radio to the nation and, and about eight to 10,000 people in front of us. That night we had an event and we used that event as the catalyst to open doors of opportunity. We booked the National Stadium expecting to get 15 to 20,000 people. This is just, you know, like two and a half weeks ago. 60,000 plus showed up. They had to lock the gates because they, they were scared of how many people were coming. It's only 250,000 people in the capital. All over the news and the headlines, the next day there was an earthquake at 12 o'clock that night, which is only the third one in history in PNG. And the, 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 the headline was, Planet Shakers truly does shake the planet. <laughs> Imagine if when Russell had said, Neil, we need to do more in the region. And I'd go, no, I can't. I've got no more capacity. How am I going to fit anything else in? Because you respond with, okay, Lord. <laughs> oh. I can stand on a stage when I've got nothing to say and speak to a nation. And I had to read the script afterwards of what I said because I had no clue. But it sounded so incredibly intelligent. <laughs> One of my lines was, this nation's greatest asset is her people. You know, the crowd went nuts. I thought, what a great line. It must have been God because I couldn't come up with that, I can tell you. I'm saying that to say you can do more. You just got to break out of your routine. Some of you are so caught and trapped in the way you've always done it. If you're going to be in a church like this, there's going to be more buildings. There's going to be more opportunities. There's going to be more land. There's going to be more that's going to be plundered. This is an okay building. Let me be frank as an outsider. You need a better building than this. But a better building is going to cost a lot more money. Oh, well, there we go. Another offering. 
always requires more. And we like some of the more. Oh, I like that. Oh, the heating's so good in comparison to what it was 20 years ago. But we don't like the other more. I've got to do a bit more. I've got to put a bit more in. I've got to show up a bit more. I've got to serve in three services instead of one. I used to like it when I was like, come on. We need to break out of the existence mentality and recognize that God has more for us. We all love the stories of standing on the steps of Parliament. But it's all about the response in the moment that says, yes, Lord, I can't do it in myself, but I know with your capacity, I can do more. Because like the Japanese say, there's always room for more. And in the kingdom, God has greater waiting for you. So church, today, I want to simply say to you, you ready for more? So I'm not here just preaching a message today. I'm here making a prophetic statement over your church. You thought two services was big. There's more. There's more. But it's not just more about the church. There's more for your family. There's more opportunity in your workplace. There's more that God has purpose for your influence and your capacity. But are you going to respond with, I can't do any more. Or okay, Lord, you're going to have to increase my measure. Stretch! So that I can be who you purpose me to be. So right now, while our eyes are closed across this room, you say, you know, that's me. I'm caught, I'm trapped in my routine. That's me. I, I got some circumstances around my life that are difficult and I'm saying, God, why? Rather than saying, God, why? You're preparing me for something. So the truth is when things are going well, we never really grow. But when we're going through hard times, that's when the stretching and the increase comes preparing us for what's next. So rather than complain, let's ask the Lord to use these times to increase our measure. So Lord, right now I begin to pray for every person in this room. I pray that they would have an increased measure, that they would stretch in their capacity, that they wouldn't say, well, I was just about to settle. There's no such word as settle in your kingdom. Lord, it's about increased measure. There's more that they can have. Just like getting that suitcase home. People can remember in this room what they used to do and what they do now. They've got so much more capacity. But I pray, increase their capacity again. Increase their measure. Lord, this church has a stamp of winning a city. It's not going to happen if we just keep doing the same old, same old. So I pray and I prophesy an increased measure that there would be a strength and there would be more that would come to each person in this place.